As always, thank you for participating in our midweek Bible study, whether you're here in person or you're, you're watching online. Thank you. I know you have a lot going on, and the fact that you're spending time with us studying Scripture and, and struggling against sin and struggling to live the life of a disciple of Jesus is inspiring and encouraging for everybody else here. Uh, so thank you for your presence and your participation. We have been talking about that struggle, the struggle that we have against, against the devil, the struggle that we have against the flesh, and the struggle that we have with the world, the struggle to live right, to do what is good, to do what is pleasing to God, and, and how we can overcome that struggle, how we can overcome sin, how we can do what is right and what is good. We, and I know that that sounds that sounds kind of negative, like who would want to come on a Wednesday night and talk about sin and talk about the devil and talk about the flesh and talk about the world, um, but really it, it's positive too, isn't it? That, that we, we can, we can't, we can't ultimately, I understand we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, and we will continue to struggle with sin, but in any given situation, at any given time, with any given temptation, you can say no to sin. You, you can say no any, any point at which you are tempted. You can stand firm with the armor of God on you. You can stand firm. We can stand firm. Uh, and we can have what Scripture calls liberty or freedom. Freedom. Uh, and when we think about that idea of liberty or, or freedom, what does... What does that mean to you? What does it mean to be free? And, and we might think, well, that, that's, that's easy, right? That freedom, being free, is a, everybody understands what that means. Free means you can do whatever you want, right? You can do whatever you want. But really, that's, that's kind of a, a modern idea of freedom. I, I, in fact, I mentioned on Sunday that when we think about freedom, we tend to think about freedom in terms of freedom from, but that hasn't always been the case. Sometimes we think, we, people used to think more in terms of freedom for. What is freedom for? How do we use freedom? In fact, we could put it this way, and we'll talk about, we'll kind of walk through that in just a second, but modern people see the pursuit of freedom or the pursuit of liberty as ridding themselves of the restraints that keep them from doing as they please. Right? That's, that's what we tend to think of when we think of pursuing freedom or pursuing liberty. We're, we're talking about getting rid of the external restraints that keep me from doing whatever it is that I want to do. But ancient people saw the pursuit of liberty or the pursuit of freedom as learning self-restraint so as not to require outside restraint. Those are two radically different ideas, aren't they? There, there's some overlap, to be certain, but they are very different ideas. One is, is to think that if I'm doing whatever I want to do, if I'm being an animal, if I'm going and I'm, I'm indulging whatever appetite that I have, then I'm truly free. But the ancient people, many of the ancient people would have said, not all, not obviously not all ancient people, but, but many of the ancient civilizations would say, no, 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 if you're indulging every appetite, if you're just living like an animal, then you're, you're not free. You are enslaved 
to your appetites, and it won't be long before a tyrant will come and rule over you. And if you live that way, where you just do whatever you feel like doing, if you don't live a virtuous life, then someone will come and restrain you. Someone will come and rule over you. The only way to really be free, the only way to have liberty, is to restrain yourself. And so the only free people are the people who learn to live virtuous lives, who control themselves and restrain themselves. A few quotes to consider as we get started. For most people, this is uh, from Andrew Sullivan, wrote, for most of the ancients, freedom was freedom from our natural desires and material needs. It rested on a mastery of these deep natural urges in favor of self-control, restraint, and education into virtue. Again, do, do we see how very different that is? between our our modern way of thinking about freedom and what it means to be free and the way that ancient people tended to think about freedom. In fact, they would look at the, the sort of the chaotic way that we live our lives. He says at the end of this quote, they'd predict misery, not happiness, to be the result. And are they wrong? Are they wrong? Are we are we really happy? The, the more we indulge every appetite, the more we do whatever we want, the more we take away all of the rules and all of the restraints, are we really happy? In fact, I was teaching a very similar lesson to teenagers just a few weeks ago at a, at a youth rally, and I said, imagine your parents said to you, you are free to eat whatever you want for dinner tonight. You're free to eat whatever you want for dinner. That means no rules, right? Freedom from. Freedom from any restrictions. You can eat whatever you want, and you ate 12 pounds of candy, right? How free would you be after you ate 12 pounds of candy? Not very free. You would be enslaved. You would not be moving. You would not be doing anything. You would be miserable. How happy would you be if you ate 12 pounds of candy? Not very happy at all. So again, when we think about freedom, we simply think of freedom from. That is a a very elementary idea of freedom rather than freedom for. I also used this illustration with the kids the other day. I said, I was, I was telling them about, I was on this, this ranch a few weeks ago uh, out in the middle of nowhere in West Texas, and, and this guy owned this pretty big ranch, and he had a lot of sort of exotic animals, goats and deer and all kinds of things that he wanted to show off, and, and it was really cool to drive around and look at those things, and he had a Jeep, and we rode around, there's nothing better than riding around on a Jeep on dirt roads and looking at deer, and it was, it was a blast, but, but he owned the whole property. So how many speed limits were on that piece of property? Zero. No, 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 like, be careful of this curve sign, you know, minimum speed, maximum speed. There, there, was no, there were no rules. So he's free to do whatever he wanted to do, right? He's free from any rules or restrictions. But if he used his Jeep to, if he ramped it off of a hill at 100 miles an hour, I mean, he could, I guess, if he wanted to, but how free would he be after he did that? Not very free, right? How happy would he be after he did that? 
operating that way where you're not thinking about what am I free for, you're simply thinking of what am I free from, you don't end up free and you don't end up happy. In fact, that's a great way to be miserable. Uh, Here's a a quote from Patrick Deneen. Liberty had long been believed to be the condition of self-rule that forestalled tyranny within both the polity the civilization, and the individual soul. Liberty was thus thought to involve discipline and training in self-limitation of desires and corresponding social and political arrangements that sought to inculcate corresponding virtues that fostered the arts of self-government. In other words, discipline and training were not the enemies of liberty, Discipline and and training were the way that you taught people how to be free. That the only way to be free is to learn to be virtuous. The only way to be free is to learn to control your urges. The only way to be free is to learn to control your desires. Because if you don't learn to control your desires through restriction, through training, through discipline, then not only will you not be free, but you won't be happy and you will cause misery to everyone. Uh, Another quote from the same book, what were viewed as the essential supports for for a training in virtue and hence preconditions for liberty from tyranny came to be viewed as sources of oppression, arbitrariness, and limitation. You see how we've done that? How, how what they saw, training and discipline, being virtuous, restricting yourself, how they saw those things as being the prerequisites for freedom, now we look at those things and say, that doesn't make you free. Those, those limitations, those trainings, those are the sources of oppression and arbitrariness and limitation. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what not to do. You can't take away my freedom like that. Again, do you see how how the ancient people believed that in order to be free, you, you have to be restrained. You have to restrain yourself. You have to learn to be self disciplined. You have to learn to be virtuous. And how we've turned the idea of freedom on its head so that now we would say, no, if you tell me I have to be self restrained, then I'm not free. If you tell me I have to be virtuous and that I can't just do whatever I want to and indulge my appetites, then I'm not really free. I like the way Tim Keller says it. He says this, real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It's not the absence of constraints, but it is choosing the right constraints and the right freedoms to lose, right? So my friend who's driving around on his own property in his Jeep, if I say, hey, I, I want to drive your Jeep. Can I drive it at 20 miles an hour? Sure. 30 miles an hour? I, I guess. 40 miles? Oh, whoa, slow, slow down, right? Can, can, I, can I take it off of a hill? and ju- No, wait, don't do that, right? If you, if you don't restrain yourself, if you don't discipline yourself, if you don't, if you don't put rules and boundaries in place, then you won't really be free. So real freedom is not the absence of any constraints. It's choosing. It's choosing what, what freedoms do I need to restrict? 
What constraints are good? What are the right constraints and what are the right freedoms to lose? Now, different people obviously have thought differently about this. What, what is the best way to bring about this sort of freedom? What is the best way to bring about this sort of freedom? If you were a Jewish person living in the first century, you, you would think that the best way to bring about this sort of, of freedom, this sort of virtue, is by following the Torah, right? By following the Torah, by, by following the law of Moses. And that by following the law of Moses, by, by, by being circumcised, by eating the right foods, by, by listening to the law, then you could be a virtuous person. And, and this, was, this would be how you would live a, a free life. If you were Greek, you probably thought that the answer was philosophy and wisdom and knowledge. But then Paul comes along and says, actually, no. The gospel comes along and says, no, no, it's, it's none of those things. The way to truly be free is to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, again, when we talk about that sort of freedom, Paul isn't saying you're free to go live a wild, lawless life. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying real freedom it's not through human philosophy. Real freedom is not through the law of Moses. Real freedom is by being a disciple of Jesus. And that by knowing Jesus and following Jesus, you can be free. You can experience this sort of real freedom. The real freedom that, that teaches you what are the right constraints? What are the right rules to place on your life? And what are the right freedoms to to give up or to sacrifice through discipleship we can learn to master our desires and not be mastered by our desires and when we're not mastered by our desires then we're free we've we've all experienced this haven't we this is the struggle with sin isn't it we, we see the thing, we talked about this last week as we talked about Romans 7. We've experienced this. You personally have experienced this, haven't you? Where we, we know something that, I don't want to do that. And I know that's the wrong thing to do. Or this over here is the right thing to do. And I really want to do the right thing. And I don't want to do the wrong thing. But then we end up doing the wrong thing and we don't end up doing the right thing. Are we, are we free? Are we free then? And Paul's argument is that we can be as free as possible this side of the redemption of our bodies. Obviously, we're not going to be totally experience this total mastery of the flesh until the resurrection and our bodies are redeemed. But we can be as free as possible in mastering or not being mastered by our flesh by following Jesus, by putting our faith in him and by walking by the spirit and not by the flesh, then we can be free. Now, of course, the argument I'm sure that Paul had to deal with over and over again as he went and taught people to be disciples of Jesus from his Jewish brothers and sisters who were both Jewish in the flesh, but also that were, they were his brothers and sisters in the flesh, but also they were his brothers and sisters in Christ. They were saying, yeah, that's great, this whole Jesus thing, that's great, but man, if you don't follow the Torah, 
if you don't follow the law of Moses, people are just going to do whatever they want to do. And you can't just go around saying that, that you are going to inherit eternal life as a gift from God and that they don't have to follow the Torah. And, and so like Romans chapter 6 begins with that question, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And what's Paul's answer? Of course not. God forbid. No, of course that's not what he's saying. But I'm sure that's what people accused him of saying. That you could just go on sinning. But Paul would say, no, that's not freedom. When you sin, you're not being free. Let's just think about that for a second. Because again, it turns everything on its head, doesn't it? That when you, when you are a slave to your desires and your appetites, you are not really free. And you're not remaining free. And so Paul would say, when you're buried with Jesus in baptism, when you become a disciple of Jesus and you're united with him in baptism, and then you're raised up from the water, you're, you're raised up new, and now you can live a new life. You've been set free. Now, you wouldn't, you wouldn't become free, you wouldn't be liberated from your slavery and then say, well, actually, sign me back up for that slavery thing. I like that. You, you wouldn't do that. Don't go back to being a slave of sin once you were liberated from that. Now that you're free, don't be enslaved again. Look at what he says in Romans 6 and verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? I read something today that said that sometimes ancient people would think about liberty or freedom as the, as the freedom to choose who you, you got into relationship with. If you were a free person as opposed to an enslaved person, an enslaved person doesn't have any choice about who they enter into covenant relationship with. They don't get to make covenants with other people because they're in bondage. But if you're free, you get to decide who you enter into relationship with, who you make agreement with, who your friends are. And Paul says, now you've been, you've been liberated. You've been freed. You are a free person. Again, not to say, so go out and do whatever you want to. There's no restriction. Well, no. Because now, if you, if you choose to use your freedom to enter back into relationship with sin and to just offer your body back to sin, then you are becoming enslaved. Again, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You have to decide, but you get to decide. You get to decide who you will offer yourself Two, who you will be a slave to. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 19 says, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Whatever overcomes you, to that you are enslaved. Verse 17, Romans 6. But thanks be to God 
that you who were once slaves of sin, that's all of us, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Slaves of righteousness. Now, again, Paul isn't talking about whether or not you'll make mistakes. Of course, we'll make mistakes. He's talking about how, how are you living your life? How, how are you living as a freed person? Jesus has set you free that now you get to decide before you were enslaved to sin. All of you, all of us were enslaved to sin. And whether we liked it or not, our destiny was death. That was our destiny, to die, to be dead. That was our destiny. But now in Christ, we've been set free. Now we have to decide. And against those who would say, well, if you're not, you don't have the law of Moses over you, telling you, teaching you, restricting you, then you're going to, and Paul would say, no, no, it's grace. It's the grace of God that sets us free. That's what teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The gift, the gift that God gave us, this freedom that God gave us in Christ, this life that God gave us in Christ, this salvation that God gave us in Christ, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to say yes to righteousness. And so Paul says that once you were slaves to sin, but now, now you've become slaves of righteousness. I want that, don't you? I want to be a slave of righteousness. Again, what would, what would happen to our mentality if this is how we learn to think about our discipleship? If this is how we learn to think about our life? If, again, we're, we're going to have restrictions on us, right? The idea that you, you could possibly live without any restrictions is an illusion. It's an illusion that you could live without any restrictions, Either you restrict yourself or someone else or something else restricts you. But the idea that you could live without any sort of constraint or any sort of restriction, that's an illusion. What Jesus offers you is the opportunity to choose the right sort of restraint, the right sort of restriction. Choose to whom you will be a slave, to whom you will belong. And Paul says it's possible for you to choose to make yourself a slave of righteousness. What if, what if we thought of ourselves in those terms? So we thought of ourselves in terms of being limited, being limited. Again, we're going to have some sort of limitation on us. So we, we might as well think of ourselves as being a slave to doing what is right a slave to doing what is good, a slave to doing what is just, a slave to doing what is virtuous. Not because we have to be a slave to those things, but because we get to be a slave to those things. Jesus freed us so that we can choose, choose to say, I want righteousness, I want justice, I want goodness, I want what is good and fair and right to be my master. I want to limit myself to only doing what is good and right and fair and just. And that when I, when I mess up and I don't do those things, I recognize that I am sinning against my master because I belong to righteousness. I belong to justice. I belong to goodness. 
I've chosen to enslave myself to doing what is good and right and just and fair. Not because the law of Moses told me I had to. I didn't have any choice, but because Jesus set me free. And I got to choose. You get to choose. And because you get to choose, choose to enslave yourself to righteousness. To present your bodies as a slave to righteousness. He says that we do this by becoming obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Being disciples of Jesus, being followers of Jesus, doing what Jesus teaches us to do. I mean, again, I, I always come back to the Sermon on the Mount, the things that Jesus taught us, that when we, we say, I love him, I love him, and it, it's, not even, it's not even within me. I don't have the capacity to direct my own steps. I don't know what's good. Leave it up to me and I'll eat 12 pounds of candy. Leave it up to me and I'll jump the Jeep off of a ramp and I'll wreck it and I'll never be able to drive it again. Leave it up to me, I'll, I'll do what's wrong. But Jesus is inviting me to follow him, to enslave myself to doing what is right, to doing what is good. And don't we, don't we want to... Don't we want to have that? Don't we want to limit ourselves to only doing what is good and what is right and what is pure? Like, I, I, don't, I don't want to have... Sometimes we think about choice and we think about choice being freedom. I was thinking this afternoon about like, I mean, have you ever, like in a cartoon where you see a long hallway and there's like a million doors and it's just an infinite hallway with an infinite number of doors? Does that seem like freedom to you? That's, that seems awful to me. Like, I don't want a million doors. I don't know what's behind all those doors. I don't want to have to choose. And what if there's something dangerous behind those doors? I, I don't know what door to choose. I mean, even going into my closet, and I don't have that many clothes, and picking out the right clothes for the day. I mean, even that choice is kind of daunting. But we live in a world, church, where we're telling our young people that it's, it's up to you. Like, you figure it out whatever, like do whatever, be whatever, act however, live however, and acting like that's freedom. That's not freedom. That's miserable, isn't it? I, I would rather, I would rather submit to Jesus and say, Jesus, show me, show me how to live my life. Show me what's righteous. Show me what's good. I want it is good. I want to limit my choices to only what is right. I want to limit my choices to only what brings about life and joy and peace. Like that's what I want to be limited to those things. And Paul says Jesus shows us. He teaches us how to live that way. And if we reject the way of Jesus to say, "Well, no, no, no. That that's too limiting. I want to go do this." Well, then we'll just become a slave. We're, we're going to be a slave one way or the other, but this kind of slavery that rejects the way of Jesus for the way of our passions and desires and appetites, that, that's a slavery that leads to misery. Look at verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms, dis describing this as slavery, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members, the parts of your body, 
as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Again, we've all experienced the the alternative, haven't we? We've all experienced that. We've experienced it where we said, hey, I'm going to do whatever my fingers want to do. I'm going to do whatever my, my mouth wants to do, whatever, wherever my feet want to take me, whatever, whatever my appetites say. And it just leads to more lawlessness and more slavery. He says, instead, Jesus has given you the, the option. He's inviting you to offer the members of your body, your hands, and your feet, and your mouth, and your head, and your everything to be sanctified, to be be used by God as holy instruments belonging to God. Mine? Mine? God, do you know what I use these hands for? Do Do you know where my feet have taken me? Do you know what my mind has thought? Do you know what I've said? Do you know where I've gone? Do you know how I've lived? And he says, yes, I I know. And I know where that that led. And I know that path. And now I've, I've set you free from that. So now these hands that you've used for sin, these feet that you've used for sin, this mouth that you've used for sin, this mind that you've used for sin, now it's free. It's free. It's no longer enslaved. And now you can present it to God. You can present it as slaves of righteousness so that now it can be sanctified. Now your mind can be sanctified and your hands sanctified and your feet sanctified and your mouth sanctified to be used for the purposes of God, holy instruments of God. I mean, imagine walking into the temple, into the temple in Jerusalem and touching the altar that had been sanctified for a special purpose, used for a holy purpose, or to walk into, into the actual building of the temple and to touch the curtain, or to walk in the tabernacle through the, the curtain and, and walk back and touch, and I know you shouldn't, but touch the Ark of the Covenant, holy, sanctified, or any of the, the bowls or the utensils used in the temple, holy, sanctified objects. Now you, you get to be the temple of God. You get to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your your fingers are the utensils. Your feet are the utensils. Your mind, your, your mouth, these members of yours, you get the freedom to choose, to offer them to God, to say, God, I want to be limited in my options to doing what is good and righteous, to doing what is just, to doing what leads to life and sanctification so that you can use your body for something good, something for God, something sanctified and set apart for him. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. No, nobody was forcing you to do what was right. Nobody was forcing you to do what was just. Nobody was forcing you to do what was good. You, you freely took the, the parts of your body and you offered them to sin and you were enslaved to sin and there was impurity, 
and there was uncleanness, and there was lawlessness, and there was slavery, and you were free from doing what was righteous and what was good. And he said, how is that working out for you? What, what fruit did you get from that? Now you look back at those things and you're ashamed of those things. Why, why, would, you, why would you keep going down that road? Do, do you really need the law of Moses to tell you not to do those things? Or, or can, can you receive this grace of God and say, I'm going to follow after the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to do what is loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled because he set me free and so that my body can be used as a temple of the Holy Spirit. He says the end of these other things is death. If you keep on submitting to lawlessness and sin, if you keep on submitting to your appetites and doing what you felt like doing and want to do, the end of those things is death. But, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's good, isn't it? Not only, not only the contrast between sin and God, making yourself a slave to sin or making yourself a slave to God, but also the contrast between wages and gift. Sin pays a wage, and the wage that it pays is death. God gives a gift. It's not a wage. You didn't earn it. God gives a gift. And his gift is eternal life. And that grace that he gives, that gift that he gives, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It sets us free. And so now, in Christ, you are free to choose your master. It's good news, isn't it? It's good news. You're free to choose your master. Again, that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. But it means the next time you're tempted... And maybe you're tempted to use grace as this license to do whatever you want. Remember what Paul says. You're free to choose your master. But if you choose to submit yourself to, you choose to surrender yourself to sin, you choose to obey sin and its desires, you will be enslaved and the end of that slavery is death. But you can also choose to make God your master, to submit yourself to him. And the gift that he gives to those who belong to him is eternal life. Remind yourself of that daily, constantly, hourly, minute by minute as you're tempted that you are free in Christ. You are free in Christ to choose who you will submit yourself to, who will you obey, who will be your master. Because the idea that you can be truly self-governed and that you don't have to submit to anybody or that there will be no restrictions on you, that's an illusion. You will have a master. Either it will be God or it will be sin. You get to choose. Let's pray. Father God, we, we have all been enslaved to sin and death. And Father, we praise you and thank you that you have set us free in Christ Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you help us day by day, minute by minute, to choose to submit ourselves to you, to obey you,
to make ourselves slaves to you. Father, remembering what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Help us, Father, to be transformed by your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church.